We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. back roto grinders to the nfl pick six super wild card weekend show you thought you were done with us after 18 weeks nope we're running two more shows uh, we're going to kick it off with the super wild card weekend show and then next weekend as well to close out the season as is usual bringing back rich rebar john daigle rich of course from sharp football analysis john daigle from nbc sports and a good football show podcast daigle the longest season has ended the longest regular season has ended and now we're on to the playoffs we, we excited it was the nearly the longest game possible as well to end the season <laughs> uh, until the raiders kicked that field goal with just a couple seconds remaining but happy that we're done with regular season football now every game every team matters and some interesting matchups for this weekend as well since a lot of these teams we've already seen playing each play each other but they were all in interesting spots oddly enough the first time they played each other or in some cases the first couple of times they played each other so a lot we'll talk about throughout the show John, you brought it up. Per the rules of Twitter, per the rules of just being a, fo- a guy person who watches football, you have to put out your take as far as the timeout. Like you're obligated. Well, what, you got you to have a hot take as far as the timeout for the Chargers, right? It's It was process and results, in my opinion. Uh, they called the timeout, which I thought was the wrong, incorrect decision. But then also, all you got to do is not let Josh Jacobs run for 12 yards in the next carry. Yeah. And then uh, that happened. So stop that, and it doesn't matter anyways. Uh, but that was the one bugaboo the Chargers could not handle. You know, out of their bye, playing a league high rate of stack boxes, they were stopping the run. And then we just went full circle, and it came back to haunt them in their last two games where they just couldn't stop any running back. So now they're out of the picture, and instead we get a rematch between the Raiders and Bengals, which we'll discuss. I'm bummed, man. I, I root for the Chargers. It's like a, I don't have a favorite team, but I find them enjoyable. I like the Powder Blues. Eckler seems like a fun guy. Are you sure you didn't want Ro- you didn't want Herbert over uh, Rossberger? <laughs> rather watch Rossberger play. I've been done with Ben for so long. <laughs> I do not want. I do not even want to talk about that game. Let, let alone, uh, you know, uh, roster over watching. It's going to be a quick one. Don't worry. 
Yeah, Rich, uh, <laughs> by all means, <laughs> you're, you're, you have any general thoughts as far as the playoffs getting kicked off here? Uh, you know, any thoughts as far as last week? We, every once in a while, we look, you know, look back, but you know, this is the second part of the season. You know, every single game matters, obviously. Uh, short slates, which we'll talk about as well. But uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, yeah, I was bummed uh, too that you know Herbert didn't get in, especially man. I mean, that dude just throws lays beams, man. I mean, those two throws he had in the fourth quarter were just absolutely ridiculous. The touchdown to Mike Williams, I oh. mean, from the QB angle, is just like there was no place. Like, how many quarterbacks can get the ball there that fast in just a nanosecond? Uh, he reminds me, it's very much feels like you know he's this like modern John Elway in like a sense. He's athletic. He's just got like a, an absolute cannon. Uh, I'm excited to see more of them. Everything went wrong for the Chargers in that game. I mean, you have the Foster Morrell fumbled go out at the one yard line to start the game instead of in the end zone. You have Andre Roberts muff punt. You go for the fourth down and don't get it. You have the pass interference. You get up a draw on third and 23. When's the last time we saw a third and 20 draw successfully work in the NFL for a first down? Uh, everything just snowballed on the Chargers. They couldn't get out of the hole. They missed a field goal in the third quarter. Uh, yeah, that's how it happens. And, you know, credit to the Raiders. The Raiders actually played a game that I didn't think that they were capable of. I thought if that game got in the 30s, like the Raiders couldn't get there, and they and they did, and they won it. Uh, we get to see them again, and we get to see Ben again as a byproduct of it all. Uh, pretty bummed about the Steelers. The Steelers, I think, unequivocally are the, the worst playoff team uh, probably <laughs> since – probably in the last decade. They're the largest wild-card underdogs in NFL history – uh, the, the Houston Texans led for more offensive snaps this season than the Pittsburgh Oof. Steelers. Uh, it's, it, it, I mean, we're, we'll get to that game when we get there. But, the, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> last time we talked about this, it's, it's shades of the Seattle Saints game with Marshawn Lynch carrying the Seahawks yeah. over New Orleans, the Superdome. Mm-hmm. But then again, like, I mean, I dare you to see that happen. Like there's no, uh, we'll get to the game. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the game. Yeah. I can't yeah, imagine we'll it. But I, I do think that, you know, this, the playoffs this year, we were talking a little bit about just, you know, kind of like how we're approaching like our, our playoff pools. And it's so unique this year because of just, you know, you hate to just air quotes use parody, but you know, it's been no, every team's had hiccups this season, really. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is kind of wide open this year and the playoffs hopefully are going to be indicative of what we got in the regular season where, Hey man, maybe someone no shows week one, there are some upsets and things can happen. I don't know if any of us will be picking the Steelers to be that team, but this feels like a lot of these games are pretty wide open uh, the opening week. Yeah, just to kind of set the stage, uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Some of y'all listen to us live. Many of, us, uh, many of y'all listen to us, uh, you know, on repeat there, on, uh, you know, on Thursday or Friday, whatever, what have you. Uh, but just understand, you know, we understand six game slates. We're going to break down. Oh, we, we're breaking our format. You should have mentioned that. It is the pick six show after all. We're going to break down every single game individually. That's how we're going to do it. We understand in the context of DFS. There are whatever slate you want, it's available. It's out there. The sites have it for you. If you want all six games, that's a thing. If you want showdown slates, oh, for sure. Every single one of those showdown style, you can have at it, have at it that way as well. And then there's a Saturday slate, the two gamer, and then the Sunday the Sunday slate, three gamer. Uh, you know, and then there's five game slate with you cutting off the Monday game. So yeah, we just figure we're gonna break it down game by game. You know, we'll we'll exaggerate if there's a play we especially like and say, well, this is maybe the best running back of the entire weekend, yada yada. But that's how we're going to do it. That's how we're going to go down uh, with um, the game by game theory. That hey, it's the pick six show. We got to that, that's the way we got to run it down. All right, Vegas, Vegas Bengals. John, you didn't have to pick uh, this week. That's right. That's always your task. You have to isolate the three games, and it's a lot of pressure. 
It's, it's just all six of them. Well, that, De- Devin, Devin sent the default email citing, here's the link. What games are we talking about? And then my initial reaction too was like, well, it's six. Like, why don't we just do every game? And then uh, Reeves was the one to step in very quickly and say, yep, that's what it is. Every single game this week. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Uh, Raiders, Cincinnati, 49 is the total. Cincinnati uh, is a six point, uh, well, five and a half point uh, favorite here. Uh, I'll throw it to you, John. What, what, pick an offense. What offense do you want to start with? Do you want to talk about the, the Bengals? Do you want to talk about the Raiders? Who do you prefer? We can start with the Bengals because this is one of those repeat matchups from earlier this year. I remember talking about this game <laughs> in the season with y'all because we mentioned Burrow's stats against the Blitz, and at the time, the Raiders were blitzing heavily. Also, Burrow's stats against cover three, and as we know, Gus Bradley only runs cover three essentially with that defense. But in this game, the Bengals responded differently in having 32 running back carries to 29 passes overall. The Raiders actually blitzed the fewest of any team in the league this week, the last time they played the Bengals. Still ended up with a top 10 pressure rate on Burrow, but nonetheless, Burrow just finished with 140 yards and a touchdown as the Bengals leaned on more of a run-heavy attack. You also see the box score and you see 32-13 in the final. But remember, this game was actually 16-13 midway through the third quarter. It took a couple Joe Mixon like breakout runs in order to get things going. And so I think recency bias has caused people to think that okay it was a changing of the guard like a changing in thought process for Zach Taylor these past two games like he's been slow playing it as an intelligent play caller and sending Burrow out and then having them throw heavily against the Ravens we talked about a rivalry game and the Chiefs that pretty much have forced Burrow to throw through the air since the Chiefs took an early lead but overall like I don't know if that's the case at all so when we look at this game for me it actually starts in wildcard DFS slates with Joe Mixon. You agree with that, Rich? Yeah, I think the, there's a pretty good signal with Mixon here. One, he's in the spot where you attach yourself to running backs, right? You've got a, a, a home team with a, a high team total uh, that's a favorite, you know, facing a team that is not good objectively against the run at any point this season. I mean, the Raiders have been beaten up by running backs all season. They've allowed 23 uh, touchdowns to opposing running backs that's 30th in the NFL. They're 28th in receiving points on the running backs. They're 25th in rushing points on the running backs. Seems like a pretty good spot to just kind of have the Bengals, you know, really are able to run the football with game script, not really be pressed uh, to kind of be aggressive here. Even if they start out aggressive, game script could just turn itself into kind of them you know, using a lot of Joe Mixon, you know, especially because like what we saw means the Chiefs, they started aggressive, but then they also were down 28 to 14 and stay aggressive. And then when you have Jamar Chase just going absolutely bonkers, uh, you know, that kind of leans itself into it. So I do think that they will kind of get back to Joe Mixon heavily. Uh, the question is always with Joe Mixon is, are they going to throw him the football this week? <laughs> this is what we do. This is why we live with Joe Mixon every week. He had 14 targets the final two games of the season. But as we also know, I mean, he had just seven games where he caught two more passes in the regular season too. And that's kind of dictated how much he scores in fantasy football. And those games, he averaged 26.3 PPR points per game. Uh, and in the other games, just 11.6 PPR points per game. So what will we get from the Bengals this week? Will they throw him the football or not? He wasn't targeted in the first game, even though he stacked a bunch of yardage. Um, but we still want that to be kind of sticky. We, can't, we don't want to just bank on him getting two or three rushing touchdowns. Uh, we want him to have a high floor as well. Yeah, that's what I see here. Uh, 30 carries against Vegas, but no, no catches and no targets. Now, I don't know. Do you think that was just sort of a, a variance, randomness, uh, whatever happened? I don't know what happened that week specifically. Or you think it was something the way Cincinnati was being defended against by, by, by Vegas as far as, you know, trying to subdue dump-offs to Mixon? 
or who knows? No, I mean, because we've seen that come and go with Mixon all year. It's like, yeah. it'd be different. It, it's you, you just go look, go down his game log. You'll see him have five targets or six catches, and then he'll go three or four games with no catches. And then it just kind of pop, it just kind of pops up. So it's been kind of no rhyme or reason. I've chased it a couple of times with matchups and it's just, there's really no, there's really no clear signal, but if you do follow like his absolute high scoring fantasy games, I mean, this was the only game where he had fewer than two catches that he was an RB one on the season and he got in the box twice. So uh, we don't want to just be, be relying on him getting multiple touchdowns. We want those to be icing on the cake. That's how you get to have like those 30 point PPR games. Uh, so we do want him to throw him the football. Speaking of rhyme or reason and a signal, what about the Bengals receiver? Especially when you consider the asking price, Chase Higgins, Boyd, uh, the way the Raiders defend, uh, is there one that looks more appealing than the other, or it's just kind of like we're throwing darts here? Well, I mean, the way the Raiders play defense, obviously, you know, like John said, I mean, they, they've played cover three, 66% of their snaps. The next highest team is at, you know, in the 40, 45% range. So they're, they're just playing cover three at a higher rate than anyone in the league. They don't give up big plays. They're third in the NFL and completion rate allowed on throws 15 yards or further downfield. Jamar Chase was second in the NFL in fantasy points scored on those targets behind just Tyler Lockett this season. Eight of his touchdowns came on those targets, uh, which led the entire NFL. Uh, and when these first teams played the first time, I mean, he just caught three passes. He got a touchdown on an end zone target, but didn't have a huge game. Uh, the Raiders are also sixth in just touchdown rate allowed to opposing wide receivers anyways. They're sixth in yards per target. They're just predicated on not giving up the big play, and that's how Jamar Chase has generated his fantasy points consistently the entire season. That doesn't mean like he's he can't get over and make a big play against the Raiders. No, he's good enough to do it against anybody, uh, but the Raiders have been predicated on kind of taking away uh, Jamar Chase is one like true spade in fantasy circles kind of this season. Uh, but we had T Higgins pop up with a foot injury today and didn't practice. So we'll have to kind of follow that the rest of the week that could uh, open up some more targets for like Tyler Boyd, uh, especially against a heavy zone based team. I mean, we saw Tyler Boyd, he didn't have really any yards the first time these teams played, but he did have eight targets, uh, you know, so he's probably, he's definitely a low ceiling play, but he's a guy that could get more targets just by structure of the defense, you know, funneling things underneath. Uh, in a lot of zone coverage. What about Azoma? I mean, yeah. maybe. <laughs> he, he does have 15% or more of the targets in the, each of the past five games. Uh, just, you know, there, there's been really no ceiling there. Uh, and the one thing, unique thing about this wildcard slate is really all the good tight ends are on it. They're playing, except for Mark yeah. Andrews. Like everyone, all the high-scoring tight ends and like points per game this year are, are on this slate. It's the, it's the postseason. Like, even if you go down a peg and you want to go to, like, Dalton Schultz or Dallas Goddard, we know their ceilings are still significantly higher for only, like, a K more uh, on DraftKings. So, yeah, I mean, we literally brought everyone to the table at tight end. Mm -hmm. John, you have a, a favorite receiver as far as Cincinnati? Or it's just, you know, does anybody really stand out for you? Or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Like Rich said, it was Boyd who led the team. And we believe because it was that zone coverage where he can just get comfortable in the middle of the last time these two teams played with a 27.5% target share. Uh, but again, we're, we're chasing a ceiling here. And so it'd probably be Higgins over Chase for me, given all the stats that Reeves cited. Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I think Boyd, like if he led the team in targets or catches again, it would not be shocking. It's just a matter of what does that produce is the question we're asking. Uh, anything else as far as Cincinnati? Like Joe Burrow, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be facing, again, depending on what you're playing on, if you're playing the two-game slate versus Carr on the other side and, you know, Mac Jones and Josh Allen, we'll talk about them soon enough and a game that we're expecting to be super, super cold there in Buffalo. 
where, where do you have Joe Burrow here on this slate? Is it just, when you consider stackability partners and all that as well, is Burrow one of your favorites quarterbacks here, John, or somewhere in the middle? I don't think it's something you're ignoring, I assume. Not ignoring, but the two-game slate is just tricky because we'll talk about when we get to the Patriots-Bills uh, and that I wonder how many people will get off. Josh Allen will clearly be the highest rostered. Uh, but how many people will get off for Joe Burrow? Because if they get off Joe Allen, Josh Allen, that means they are getting on to Joe Burrow. And I don't want to be the one that plays like Mac Jones or Derek Carr, <laughs> uh, but maybe like I do that just to spend up elsewhere. So I'm still trying to figure out admittedly quarterback on a Wednesday for like a, the two game slate where there are literally only two options. Yeah. Uh, and that's why maybe the five game slate or the six game you, slate would be friendlier as well. You maybe even, you probably just suck it up and take Josh Allen's rushing yards as the high floor play here. Since we know Burrow like won't, not that he can't, but he won't offer that. And then you get contrarian elsewhere. Rich, uh, feel free to answer the same question and jump on over to, you know, Derek Carr on the other side of this Raiders game. And, but is it, is it true? Is it a thing? I've heard rumblings. I've heard speculation that he's not good in the cold. Do you have a big enough sample size for that? Is there a legitimacy to that thought process? Who's that? Derek Carr. Have you heard this before? Uh, no, I didn't really pull up. I mean, I just looked at Derek. I don't need to really go a bridge too far. Like Derek Carr just hasn't been good since the bye. I don't even need to go. I don't need to go like <laughs> under the hood and like come up with more reasons to not like Derek Carr. He just hasn't played really good in terms of fantasy football stance uh, since they've had the bye. So it's like really hard. I mean, uh, you know, he, he had to close the season. He had two QB one scoring weeks over his final eight games. He averaged seven yards per pass attempt. He had eight games with one or fewer touchdown passes. Uh, even last week with the Raiders scoring 30, he was, he was, he didn't do anything in that game. Uh, you know, the completion rate was way down. Uh, just not really a lot, a lot to love when these teams played earlier in the season, like they, the Bengals pressured Derek Carr on 40% of his dropbacks in that game. They have two of the, the worst five uh, offensive linemen in terms of pressure rate allowed per pass passing snap in the NFL and their offensive line. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of just a hard spot to really kind of gravitate saying like Derek Carr as a high ceiling. And we did see them pop twice on a similar slate like this once on Thanksgiving. And then, you know, they have the, the high point total on Sunday night, but I mean, this is a team that since they're, they're by, they scored a touchdown on just 16 and a half percent of their offensive possessions. Uh, the only teams worse than that uh, over that span were the Panthers, the Texans, the Falcons, the Jaguars, and the Giants. Like this offense hasn't been good. Uh, they are uh, last in the NFL or they're, they're, they're 26th in the NFL in red zone conversion rate. Uh, they have a 37.4 conversion rate on third down. That's 22nd in the NFL. That's the worst of all playoff teams. Uh, it, it's just kind of hard to kind of draw a bridge there. I mean, these are teams that backed in the postseason. I understand that it, it's any given Sunday and these things happen, but like objectively, there's just not a lot to love. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, upside, fantasy upside that like this offense offers and then the one we'll talk about in the other AFC game on Sunday night. And like, speaking of not looking under the hood, like you would just look at their schedule and say that like, yeah, they got burned by Mahomes, but after that, they they backed into the postseason because they played Nick Mullins, Drew Locke, Carson (laughs) Wentz, and then that Herbert game that went to overtime in the end. So it's just like they came up running hot on schedule at the end of the year as well. I'm hearing you guys correctly. Y'all want to lay the five and a half. Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, this is no, not, well, this is not a game. I, I actually, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't trust Zach Taylor either. So uh, I kind of like Mixon. I, I also took the Raiders on Monday, admittedly. It was six and a half though. It was six and a half. Okay. Uh, so uh, can Darren Waller kind of turn that around, uh, Rich? Is that, can he be a, he's obviously an upgrade over, you know, Foster Moreau. 
uh, we saw him, you know, come back last game, obviously a lot, a lot of targets, not a lot of, uh, you know, offense there out of him, but, you know, in theory, there's still some talent there. I presume he's mostly fine. I'm not really sure what he's saying is for, you know, he's giving it a go, gutting it out, whatever it is, he's playing, he's on the field. Can he at least make them a little bit better? <laughs> or is this- yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, he's the guy that's probably the most intriguing. Uh, we can talk about him and Renfro. Uh, and if Dave wants to talk about Zay Jones, he can. But, uh, you know, Waller, the usage was there. I mean, he ran a pass route at 92.5% of the team dropbacks. Uh, he had the nine targets. The, you know, the production wasn't there. What do you like? But we t- we'll take the usage and say that, take that as a sign of, all right, he's healthy enough to be on the field that much. We can kind of chase him in a game uh, on a short slate, especially uh, where you talk about the late game. You've got two defenses that have been amazing against tight ends, and the passing volume might not be there in that game anyways. Uh, and then Waller himself had a season high, you know, 116 yards when these teams played earlier in the season. The Bengals have been kind of touched up by tight ends and, and really beat up over the middle of the field the entire season. Uh, 26th in catch rate to uh, tight ends, 27th in yards per target, 22nd in touchdown rate. So, yeah, Waller is definitely probably the one piece that's probably the most intriguing. Renfro is still getting into the end zone. But the, the targets haven't really been there. It's not just because Waller's back. It's that Zay Jones is starting to get like eight targets a game uh, that's really kind of cut in there. So Renfro's actually gone the other way from his archetype. He's actually been kind of more of a touchdown dependent scorer uh, to close the season. So that's kind of a pretty interesting. The Bengals are worse, like in, in terms of guarding, like I said, the middle of the field and interior receivers are 23rd in points slot to opposing slot receivers. It didn't necessarily help Renfro the first time these teams played. Uh, but that is where you want to attack the Bengals is the middle of the field. And, but even in averaging, you know, nearly nine targets per game over the last month, Zay Jones hasn't scored a touchdown since week okay. one, and he's gone over 100 yards. Well, no, he's actually gone over 70 yards just once all year. So it's it's like not – it's like poor man's Tyler Boyd. We were having – we were struggling to get the Tyler Boyd. Now imagine getting to Zay Jones. Was uh was Deshaun Jackson on the field uh, in the last game where he just wasn't efficient? He was exercising, as Rich would say, or – we got, I don't have the, we yeah. got that cowboy slay out of him, and that's all we needed. We, we never needed to see him again after that. I'm just thinking about, like, large field stuff. Like, D-Jack is, is a guy that can, you know, get there in one play, 70-yard touchdown, at least historically. I don't know if he still can be that guy. He, and he, it, he's, his, yeah. his role hasn't really increased. Uh, even this past game, he was only on the field for eight routes overall. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a player – because Marcus Valdez-Scantling even went to a full-time player. Uh, yeah. You know, it just, you're going to get very, very, very limited usage out of him since they are entrusting Zay Jones with that role as their number two receiver. 3-1 on DK, 4-9 on Fandle. Yeah, if he's not in the field, what, what's the point? But I'm you just trying to think you of can't a way play to be him different. On, if you want to throw him in on DraftKings, I imagine he's actually really popular since everyone's going to take the points. You can't play him on Fandle. You just can't. Uh, Rich, anything else you want to add as far as uh, DJX or the receivers? Uh, I feel like we got to talk about Josh Jacobs. Uh, is he, is he just, the, he's the guy, uh, they're going to sprinkle in Richard, basically, you know, some third down stuff, but uh, presumably if, if the, if the, the Raiders are down, if they're down like 10 or so in the fourth quarter, eight minutes to go, is it Jacobs back there? Or is it Richard Richard? Probably still more Jacobs. It's kind of been like the end of the season. They just kind of swerved into letting him have an extended role. He's got 19.7 touches per game over his past 10 games, three in a row with 20 plus. Um, the Bengals have been pretty good against the run this season. They will give up some rushing touchdowns. Uh, he got kind of game scripted out in that game, even though it was kind of a closer game for three quarters, like Daigle said, but only nine carries. He did have seven targets. Uh, you know, Jacobs, at least, it's been saving his floor, the targets he's getting, but he's not doing anything with the targets. Like, he, he's getting the catches. So if you're in a full PPR league, like, that helps you, and it saved his floor. But, like, 
he hasn't been getting a lot of like high ceiling weeks because of it. Like we talked about with Mixon, right? Like when you look at Mixon's targets, when they do throw to him, he's got a lot of like really good receiving games. Josh Jacobs doesn't. He's got a bunch of just hollow catches, uh, like no kind of yardage. The Bengals haven't. Uh, they've allowed 100-yard rusher since the Week 10 bye, and it was Dearness Johnson last week in a throwaway game where nobody really played for them. Uh, they're getting all their guys back off of COVID. Um, it's just not a spot. And, and he's in a spot as a road dog, which we just don't really like, yeah. uh, you know, inherently. So he's probably not a guy I'm going to be on, but, like, obviously, pass interference in the end zone, anything like knocking <laughs> the door, he's going to be the guy getting those touches. So you can always run into, like, uh, you know, the luck box touchdown. John, you got anything else as far as Jacobs? Anything else as far as this game, or shall we move on? No, Jacobs and Waller are probably as far as I'll get for the Raiders side. All right, New England, Buffalo, the second game it's played on Saturday night. 44 is the total. Buffalo is a four-point favorite. We talked about uh, how this game is expected to be super, super cold. What were you saying before the show, John? On Wednesday night, so it's, you know, weather – it's only so much you can get, but uh, what negative degrees projection no, feels like no wind, no snow, but supposed to feel like negative three. Okay. So there's no winds. So that means the Patriots in theory are going to throw the ball at least more than three times, John. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to theoretically, like, they would love to just run it a thousand times and just get out of town. But uh, yeah, I mean, everybody else knows that too. And nobody's playing Mac Jones, but you know, whatever, I understand why they're not. And, Talk about Josh Allen. We kind of already touched on it already. And like, even if he's not passing, you know, slinging it around a ton, he's got the wheels, he's got the legs to make it happen as well at the goal line. He can run it in also. But uh, yeah, John, what do you have for me as far as uh, Josh Allen? How much you're prioritizing this week? Of course, ideally, you prefer like he was uh, in a dome against a rough defense and a shootout, but that's not the scenario. But he can still get there, obviously. I'm just worried about the Bills overall because it's pretty much the worst draw they could have had, especially given Josh Allen's career splits with completing 57% of his passes at the Patriots. Now, they were encouragingly more aggressive in their last matchup against New England um, before that Chargers-Raiders game, going for it the most times on fourth down of any offense, and they were three or four on fourth down. My only concern here is that even in finishing top three and third down conversion rate. And in that game, they were six of 12 on third down as well. Like Patriots finished the year top 10 and third down conversion rate. And in that game, they were one for 10. Like they weren't moving the chains at all. Even though Damian Harris, even Mac Jones, they had success on the ground in both contests against them. And so given the weather, given the matchup, uh, especially common foes, I, I just think it's not a terrific game really to get on Buffalo's side, especially in if you're playing like the five game slates across the entire weekend. Rich, thoughts there? Yeah, it's it's probably the worst spot they could have drawn. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of joking before the, you know, the game, it's, it's like Belichick or the Patriots, they have this magic because when you look at like the Patriots, like up and down, like anytime they've played like a functional offense in like outside of the the Bills, like bad weather game uh, and the, the Buccaneers, remember that game was played on Sunday night and like the rain and cold too, uh, they've, they've given up points. I mean, they've given up points. Like this defense has been kind of schedule driven. Um, and we saw that when they played the Bills and like a kind of neutral, you know, conditions when they played three weeks ago, uh, they gave up, you know, 33 points last week. They gave 27 points to the Colts. They gave 35 points to the Cowboys. Uh, they gave up 28 points to the Saints earlier in the year. And then you just have like a, a gaggle of them just beating up like terrible offenses in the middle of the season. Uh, so, I mean, this defense has been a little bit uh, of kind of a fugazi over the course of the season. So, once again, this plays into their hands. They had, they've had a couple, a little bit of a mini COVID outbreak in the defensive backfield. So keep eyes on that throughout the weekend. Jalen Mills just went on today. Uh, so I have to keep tabs on that. 
but if you can't throw the ball, I mean, what are you going to do? And that's kind of what we are. We're on weather watch throughout the course of this game. And maybe the sample is just small enough to where if there's no wind, it doesn't matter because Josh Allen can run and they swerved into him running the last five games. Uh, he's got double digit rushing attempts in three of those five games, over 10 rushing fantasy points per game over that span. So we'll see him probably run a good amount too. Uh, but we've got this three game sample this year with terrible weather. We obviously have the wind game, which everyone remembers the rain game against the Colts and then the snow game against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. Uh, and Josh Allen threw for fewer than six yards for pass attempt in all three of those games. The week 17 game against the Falcons was the coldest weather game he's played in his career. And it was 26 degrees, which is like the tropics compared to negative, <laughs> negative degrees, uh, you know, at eight o'clock at night in Buffalo. Uh, Josh Allen's only played four career games below freezing temperatures. And in those games, he's thrown for 193 or fewer yards in all four. He has a 55% completion rate. He's thrown four touchdowns and seven interceptions. I mean, it's, it, this team is built to play like in a dome and in like optimal conditions. And this is, this is another factor that can slow them down, uh, you know, to go along with whatever, you know, Belichick's going to scheme up for the third time that these teams are going to play. But on paper, I mean, the Bills are a way better team than the Patriots. Like, it, yeah. it, it's, not, it's not even close. Uh, it, so, I mean, it's, it's just one of these things that we're going to have to factor in and see how much of it, it plays in because uh, we don't really know what kind of variable it's going to be. Maybe they come out and shred. There's no win. We don't know. But uh, if you look at like the history of games played in cold weather, even regardless of wind, it's not good, uh, especially in the postseason. We were kind of talking about it before the show. I mean, how much these games go under uh, nine games in the playoffs played since the merger in single digit weather. Uh, the average combined point totals in that game is 36 and a half combined points in those games. Uh, the, the most recent one that people remember is the 2016 game. Uh, the 2015 season when Seattle played Minnesota in the game where they were playing in the college stadium at the time. And uh, I forget who their kicker was at the time that missed that short, short field goal and they lose the game at the end of it, but that game was 10 to nine. It was an absolute travesty. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's kind of just a a thing we don't know going into Saturday night. We don't know how much of an impact it's going to have. But we do know that, you know, if there is weather, we've seen the Bills lean on Devin Singletary, even their last two games. And remember, these last two games are important because they were trying to make it to the playoffs and then clinch a home field game. Uh, And Devin Singletary, even this past week, scored both of his touchdowns in the last 830. They've been taking the ball out of Josh Allen's hands late in the fourth quarter and just running it instead to make sure no mistakes are committed down the stretch. Singletary, of course, who has at least 21 touches in three of his last four games. And so, you know, we're talking about DFS here, but even in playoff-only formats, which are very popular right now, playoff-only best ball as well, I do like Josh Allen, like pivots to Devin Singletary. I like sneaking in Patriots defense and Damian Harris into those leagues because like like the how the world was watching the Colts Jags game since that game decided so much like both the Patriots and Bills have good walks to the throughout the postseason for whomever escapes this game like the Patriots would then take on the Titans and then I guess the Chiefs if we're assuming they win the divisional round whereas the Bills would then get the the Chiefs in the second round and then move on to whomever comes on between the Bengals and Raiders so overall like yeah this is a terrible matchup and whoever wins this game like could very well be representing the AFC. By the way, Blair Walsh, that was the kicker yeah, Blair for, Walsh. For, for Minnesota. Yeah. I think the Ohio State kicker before that. Um, but also, you mentioned the Colts. Like, who says no? Like, the Colts should trade their dome for for Buffalo's outdoors. <laughs> like, those teams would do perfectly playing in the other, right? Wouldn't that make a lot of sense the way they're on their offenses? I don't know. You're probably, it's probably difficult to make that, that trade for sure. But uh, 
Uh, can you play? Does this sound ridiculous again? I'm trying to be a little bit goofy, a little bit different, especially if you're playing, depending on what slate you are. Can you play Josh Allen naked? Like, is that something you could do? Like, I don't, you don't have to do it. I'm just, or maybe pair him with Singleton and get all the rushing touchdowns. He can dump it off to Singleton as well, I guess. Or am I just, am I just thinking some ridiculous things here, Rich? Is that a, an absurd thought? No, I mean, definitely on the Saturday only slate, we talked about the first game too and how Burrow performed the first game against the Raiders and how they're just predicated on not giving up a, a lot of production. Because remember, even in Sunday night, it took Herbert throwing 30 passes in the fourth quarter to get there, right? Like it's so, I mean, like on this four game slate, I mean, it's it, like just Josh Allen's legs are enough to carry enough weight to see some upside there uh, where he can get there on his own and offer two rushing touches. I mean, we talked about that week 17 game against the Falcons. He was awful throwing the football in that game, but still had 20 fantasy points because he's the power back. He scores has the two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, uh, in that game. So I mean, yeah, that that scenario still exists as well. That's the one thing I keep getting circling back to is just how much can they still do that because they didn't really run Josh Allen in the first game, uh, like they've been to down the stretch. And like, how much is that going to be a part of the game plan if like weather is, uh, you know, that much of, of an impact like it was the first time they played? Because even the first time they played, they lost fourteen to ten and they went one for four in the red zone in that game. Like the Patriots are still gonna, like if they think they're going to trot out and throw the ball three times again and just hope they get another 65-yard touchdown run. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not an optimal game plan. Like, the no. Patriots are going to have to score offensive points in this game, even if it's a lower-scoring game. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because this Patriots team has kind of floundered offensively the final month in the season, and Mac Jones hasn't played well at all against any team that has, like, a, a respectable pressure rate defensively uh, on any point in the season. I mean – uh, you know, you look at the, the games he's played against teams in the top 10 in pressure, he's played seven games. Uh, and in those games, those teams have pressured him on a third of his dropbacks. And he's completed 48% of his passes for 5.3 yards per pass attempt. Uh, Bills are number one in the NFL in pressure rate. They obviously got to him the last time these teams played uh, when they played in New England. And, and Mac Jones kind of, you know, is kind of exposed a little bit. And he's exposed the week before against the Colts. He did not play well against the Dolphins last week. Again, another team that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, so, I mean, if the Patriots have to drop back and, and throw in this game, I mean, it's that's the, the least optimal like way they can play offense in, in this game. Uh, if I'm going to force you to pick a pass catcher for the Patriots, Myers, Aguilar, Bourne, Harry, uh, one of the tight ends, Smith or Henry, like who would be, uh, you know, I, you don't probably, none of them look great, <laughs> but if you got to pick one, who, who do you think it would be? I mean, you just have to default Myers. He has 51 more targets than the next closest guy on the team. Yeah. Born had picked up steam like mid-year, but since he returned from the COVID list, he's been uh, lacking some pop. By the way, Josh Allen played, co- he played college at Wyoming, right? So he's used to, I mean, I, I have been in Wyoming, but my understanding, it's, it's a bit rough around those parts, is it not? I think, as he, far as the weather? It's very cold. Uh, he did have that quote that's circulating now that said uh, his main concern is keeping his toes warm because since he has poor circulation, they tend to go numb whenever it's too cold and uh, hey, buddy, it's going to be negative three. So get out there. Good luck. Mine was always years. my fingers. Like when we played in the cold, like mine was always, if I lost my fingers, like I was done. Like I would, I just focus on like keeping my hands as warm as possible. I used to wear uh, doctor surgeon gloves under my wide receiver gloves because it mm. would just like keep, it would keep the heat in. Uh, that, that was a trick I found uh, that, that really worked really well. But my fingers were the most important thing. I had to keep my hands warm. I, I'm learning so much. I didn't know you played. I didn't know you were a receiver. <laughs> who was who would give me your comp if I were if I were to go to playerprofile.com and I type in <laughs> I oh, like, type like Rich Reba. Darren Cheverini. Like <laughs> I don't know who that is. It's like your high school. Brian Brennan. Brian Brennan. 
who are these guys? <laughs> exactly. There's, there's exactly. a reason. Yeah, there's a reason you haven't heard of them. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So your uh, your your wide receiver of choice in the Buffalo side. Uh, you know, John, what do you have for us? And again, of course, you want it to be Diggs. Is that uh, a smart spend up? If you're running 150, you're running 100 lineups. Of course, you're playing some Diggs. Like, there's no reason not to play some Diggs. Uh, Sanders expected back this week. We'll see on that. Davis, Beasley as well. You got another tight end that's like, you know, competent, that's worth a look and Knox. Do you have a preference amongst this group? It's just tough because we're, we're waiting on Emmanuel Sanders and then you sort of have to figure out what they're going to do with him back. Since we know Gabriel Davis will be on the field essentially as a full-time player if Sanders is out, but now practicing in full on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, last time we saw Sanders prior to injury, he actually led the team in routes run more, even more than Stephon Diggs. And it's not like he's doing anything with those targets at this stage of his career late into the year. And so what I think will happen since we've already seen Isaiah McKenzie lead the team in targets, then move back to the bench. The moment Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis were off the COVID list. I genuinely think Gabriel Davis just goes back to the bench and we saw, so we see full-time Emmanuel Sanders which in my opinion is significantly less impactful than having Davis out there full time. And so Diggs is fine, but we've also seen Diggs, uh, you know, pretty much just the regression we've talked about from last year, carry over and lacking the ceiling. He's still getting the targets. Even in his last eight games, he's averaged nearly 10 targets per game, but he hasn't exceeded 90 yards in any of those performances. And so you're basically just counting on touchdowns right now, since he hasn't been really a ceiling player since he spoiled us with his ceilings last year. And so I don't think you necessarily have to have him. Maybe if you want to take that reception floor with the upside and a two-game slate, totally fine. But I don't think he's someone you necessarily have to have in like a five-game slate. Rich, same question? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're obviously going to look at Diggs first just because of the targets and, you know, the way the Patriots play defense. I mean, both times they played him. The first time they played him, they played man coverage, 42% of snaps. That was the third highest in the NFL that week. In the second matchup, they played 41.2% of time. Man coverage was the fourth highest rate in the NFL. And when you just look at the splits of the Buffalo offense when versus man versus zone, Diggs has 30% of the team targets against man as opposed to 23% uh, against zone. Uh, so, I mean, and he's a target on 25 uh, or 30% of uh, his routes too as well against man as opposed to 23% of his routes against zone. So when they do see man, when Josh Allen sees man, he wants to go to Diggs. Uh, so if the Patriots are going to put them in that spot, we know the targets are going to get there. But like Daigle said, this hasn't been a high ceiling player. He's really gotten over on just they, they, the, all the end zone targets. I mean, he leads the NFL in end zone targets. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, the Bills have spread everything out Like as, as the season's gone on. We've seen Gabe Davis get involved. Austin Knox has obviously been involved in the red zone all year. And now Devin Singletary is involved in the offense again as another piece. So it's an offense that's giving the ball to more players uh, than it was, you know, last year when it was largely a dig show. And Reeves mentioned uh, Jalen Mills on the COVID list earlier. Like he's their second best man quarter. He's the man they put across the field from JC Jackson and let him just go out there. So it is like, it's kind of a wait and see approach, honestly, right now. Lastly, what do we do with the running backs as far as New England kind of sort of a three-headed monster to some degree? Uh, Harris has been dealing with that hamstring. I assume he's going to be the guy. Stevenson had a concussion last week. I assume he's going to be fine. Uh, Bolden, you know, kind of the, the catch me up third down guy. Rich, is there anything to get excited about? Ideally, if New England had their druthers, they would probably just hammer Harris and Stevenson a ton. Uh, is mm-hmm. that something they can ex- execute? Yeah, I mean, this game is going to be largely how does the how does this game start, right? Like, are the do the Patriots play ahead or are they playing behind? Like, this is yeah. it's going to it's going to dictate so much. 
uh, because we've seen the Bills. They want to play that base nickel defense. That's, that's what they want to live in. And you can run on them if they're in that. If they want to play with the lead and make you come out of the run. We know that the Patriots aren't going to do that. In the second matchup, when they were losing throughout, they stayed with the run. And Damian Harris still, you got over it, the free touchdown game. Uh, you know, obviously he's a guy that we need to get into the end zone, but he has scored in 10 of his past 11 games. So like if the Patriots do score a touchdown, he he's the guy that has the most touchdown equity in the offense. Uh, he did catch four passes last week. It was a season high, but like he still had 18 catches all season. I don't think we really count on those. Buffalo uh, has been one of the, their second in the NFL in receiving points lot the running backs anyways, to, to make Bolden not appealing and why he didn't even get over when the game script led to uh, he would have been the, the signal that he would have done well in the second matchup, but the bills don't give up any production through the air to running backs. Uh, Stevenson hasn't really done anything in a game that Harris has played in full, like really at all, unless it was garbage time against the Jaguars. He's just not getting enough touches in the base offense. So it would be Harris as the guy. And we haven't seen them play full games together because mm-hmm. they've both been in and out of the lineup since week 12. Like they both have been banged up at random times. Even last week, Stevenson suffered a head injury in the first half, came back in the third quarter. He's not on the injury report at all, but he couldn't play through it. Like he, they got a couple more snaps in the third quarter and it took him off the field. Whereas in a week 11 and 12, when they played together, they had just 21 carries a piece, literally split their workload down the middle. So uh, I do like Harris a lot, given the game script we've talked about, but I've also even with fewer touches, what we're projecting, um, I'm still not opposed to playing both because the rules are out the window in a two-game slate. And so uh, I think I just like picking that game script and then maybe you run back naked Josh Allen, hoping that he's the one who brings them back. That is the Saturday two-game slate. Going to talk about the Sunday three-gamer in a second and the, the Monday night game as well. Before we move on beyond that, we want to talk about our sponsor, Jock Market. Appreciate uh, you all sponsoring us all season long. Jock Market, stop throwing your money away. It's time to check out Jock Market, the app where daily fantasy becomes a stock exchange. You buy and sell shares of players in real time for real money. Download now for a 100% deposit match up to $50 using the promo code GRINDERS. That's G-R-I-N-D-E-R-S. Now get this. If you do not turn a profit this week, Jock Market, they're going to cover your losses in your very first event. Download Jock Market in the app or play stores or check out jockmarket.com. That's J-O-C-K-M-K-T.com. Again, use the promo code GRINDERS, 100% deposit match, up to $50 on your first deposit. First game on Sunday, Philadelphia at Tampa, 80, 86, no, 46 is the total. 86 would be a lot of fun. It's like arena football. Uh, total in this game is 46. Tampa is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, they are likely expected to get Lenny Fournette back. Ronald Jones, unlikely to play. Uh, Shaq Barrett and JPP also optimistic they're going to get them back as well. Uh, John, pretty big favorite here as far as the Tampa Bay side, of course, Tom Brady without, you know, some of his key weapons. He does have Mike Evans and Gronk and then some other dudes. Um, Yeah, Fournette's going to be super, super popular. Uh, Big total here for Tampa. What do you have here as far as the Bucs? Yeah, like you said, it's a big wait and see game here just because Fournette averaged over his last month prior to injury, 13 and a half carries, seven and a half targets, truly was the engine of that offense. Even recall that Colts game where they couldn't really move the ball with explosive plays on the cover two. Matt Eberflus was running, but Fournette spiked four touchdowns and just broke the game open in the fourth quarter. And so waiting on that, we also saw a little bit of a hint at what we talked about and Mike Evans taking on a larger target share. Now Gronk and Evans were both active to chase their incentives. They even have the, the clip that's going viral right now where Gronk is requesting his final catch 
in the last quarter, he goes over great. to Brady. He goes over to Brady and says, like, one catch short. Brady just confirms one more catch. They run a little just quick flat route. He catches it. And then Gronk goes back to the sideline like the 12-year-old he is and starts dancing and saying, I got a million. <laughs> I'm going to the city. And now we have Evans also, who was out there chasing incentives too, but he only had an 18.5% target share and played the fewest snaps he's played in a full game all year. And he was Tampa Bay's only receiver with any amount of end zone targets and has yet to reach a 28% target share in any game. And so expecting an every snap wide receiver without, without Chris Godwin, without Antonio Brown for the first time all year, like there's really a chance that Evan sees a 35, 38% target share, something wild in this game. And so given the fact that the Eagles also on defense, untested since they didn't play a strong schedule at all in the last two months. Uh, I do think we get like a blow up game here for Evans. Rich, you on board with that? No, not really. Uh, Ooh, I, love, let's hear I, it. I, I love it, but uh, I mean, the, the biggest problem is, well, one, the, the Eagles have been awesome against opposing wide receiver ones all year. Uh, only Tyreek Hill scored three of the four touchdowns that the wide receiver one scored uh, against them this season. Uh, only Devo Samuel and Tyreek had more than 79 yards receiving. We've also seen Mike Evans, he, over the course of his career and this season, the one thing he's susceptible to is physical shadow coverage. And he's going to get that here against Darius Slay. Uh, these, two they, these two teams played early in the season and Slay shadowed him on uh, all of his routes, two of four targets, 27 yards in that game. These teams, these guys met, once before, and Mike Evans only had 25 yards against Darius Slay. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore got Evans twice. Trayvon Diggs shadowed him and shut him down, and Slay did too. So Evans, we've seen him, of course, career. He's a guy that is susceptible to man coverage. Now, he can he can score a touchdown because, like Daniel said, he's gonna get those end zone targets. But I see this game as like a death by a thousand paper cuts Brady game. I see Gronk and Leonard Fournette, Cameron Brate. Uh, even maybe a little bit of Tyler Johnson. I see the intermediate passing game. Just I see this is a game where Brady completes like 80% of his passes, has a low A dot. He had his lowest A dot of the season when these teams played earlier in the season in that Thursday night game. Uh, I think you know the Eagles. They don't blitz. They they play zone uh, at one of the league's highest rates. Uh, I, I really think that this is like a, a, a supreme like death by a thousand paper cuts Brady efficiency game. One. We don't have many Reeves Daigle stands off, so I'm excited. Yeah. This, this is fun. Uh, and two, I have bet the over already in this game. Uh, now I got steamed on the under, I believe, by Sharp Money. So we'll see how that turns out. But I do actually like the over because I think the Eagles can carry their weight in this game as well. We haven't fought in about anything in this show since like Red Zone, <laughs> I think like seven weeks ago or something <laughs> like that. It's been a long I, season. I was on an island being pro red zone, which I never felt like I would be like that. Who dislikes red zone? Whatever. No, not worth rehashing. And Evans back. also didn't practice today with the hamstring. I think that's still going on with him. Well, he left the game, uh, the previous game. Is that what it was? Was it for a hamstring? I never left the game for something uh, last week. He's been What's dealing with it for multiple weeks. It's not going to hold him out. I just think he's more of like a touchdown, a touchdown or bust type of guy. Like we'll see him get a handful of targets, but he's, he needs the touchdowns. I don't know if we got like a high yardage game. I, I thought he was uh, benched. I just thought he was chasing the incentives and hit the bench. Uh, if he played limited those 71% of snaps because he was limited with the hamstring injury, that's that changes my argument altogether. So we'll see Friday's practice report. Rich, you mentioned uh, Cameron Brate. All, all the what are those thousand uh, thousand cuts? Is he he's a possible cheapie as far as tight ends? I mean, I don't know how you really get there. Like, uh, I think he's more <laughs> of like a hail mary, like desperation play. Like if you're just yeah. saving salary. Because uh, I do think it's a Gronk, Lenny, Leonard, Leonard Fournette game, like out of the backfield. I mean, you look at where teams have beat up the Eagles the entire season. It's with 
Look at look at how they play defense. They've allowed the fewest rate of 20 yard completions in the NFL. They play, you know, zone coverage uh, 71% of the time. Uh, they don't blitz. They're 31st in the NFL in blitz rate. Uh, it, it's just it's just predicated. I mean, Dagel talked about Matt Eberflus earlier in this, uh, you know, earlier. This is where Jonathan Gannon came from. Uh, this is this is he brought it over. This is what they're going to do. Uh, so I think it's a, definitely a heavy Leonard Fournette game, and he obviously people will be drawn to him because of what he was doing before. Uh, high value touches. He he still finished second in the NFL in opportunities inside the ten yard line, even missing the, those three games to end the year. Uh, he was catching the ball at a, at a crazy rate. Um, the Eagles are 26th in receiving points allowed to running backs, 21st in rushing points allowed to running backs. Fournette lit them up in the Thursday in the Thursday night game they played earlier in the season. Uh, and then Gronk didn't play in that game, but OJ Howard caught six of seven targets in that okay. game. Uh, you know, the, the Bucks tight ends caught nine of 11 targets in that game for 75 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I, I really just think this is a game where like Brady just absolutely just is surgical. Like just, he, he might throw like 10 incompletions this game, maybe, <laughs> maybe less. John amongst the uh, Tyler Johnson and Perryman and Miller and Darden, you know, is again, this is like, you know, GPP dark stuff. You're looking to separate yourself from the field in some way. Do you have a preference amongst that group? Well, it would be Cyril Grayson, but then he got injured. So we're waiting on his, but it doesn't sound good right now. Uh, Tyler Johnson has averaged six and a half targets the past two games as Brashad Perryman has slowly been working his way back from the COVID list. And prior to going on the COVID list, Perryman did usurp Johnson as the team's number three receiver, but now they're just throwing Tyler Johnson to the slot and letting him work there. So I guess uh, if you told me to pick an ancillary one, it would be Tyler Johnson. Rich, anybody for you, it stands out or it's just, uh, we're throwing darts. Yeah, largely throwing darts. I mean, Tyler Johnson's been out there getting a lot of exercise. Uh, he's, he's had some targets come his way. He hasn't really done anything with them. Right. Um, he would fit kind of like the, the corollary of what I've drawn to how I envision this game kind of playing out, but it's still, it, it's a long play. Rich, I look at this Eagles backfield, uh, Sanders, Howard, Scott, Gainwell. It looks like a big old headache. Uh, you know, 18 team total projects to be down. Uh, maybe one of them be interesting as far as catching passes on the comeback or something like that. Is there a lot or anything to like here? Is there something, somebody that's going to separate themselves from the group here that, you know, uh, that stands out for you or it's mostly an ignore? I mean, I, I love the collectively we play Eagles running back, like one guy, <laughs> like just Eagles running back. Sure. I would love to do that because I mean, this is, I think they're going to run the ball better than people like think they will in general because people think the bucks right in the, in the run defense and uh you know the run defense has been a little beatable like towards the end of the season especially with the amount of injuries they've had but also we've just seen like the way the eagles now have incorporated their offensive scheme since the time these teams played remember when they played uh earlier in the season i mean they were they, this is when the eagles were a lot more pass heavy i mean they weeks one through six uh they had a 58 percent pass rate and then since these teams have played, it's just 38%, the lowest in the NFL. And what they've really done is swerved into the, the RPO run game and incorporating Jalen Hurts into the run game. They lead the NFL in runs, uh, in RPO runs uh, by, by a mile. Their running backs lead the NFL in, in RPO runs ahead of the Cardinals. Um, and that's just hard to, to defend against. We've seen them play good run defenses over the course of the stretch. Remember, they played the Saints, had no trouble running on the Saints. At the time they played Washington, Washington was one of the best run defenses they ran all over them. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's just part of the scheme. I think it's be hard for the, the Bucks to still defend it as good as they are against the run. I still think there will be an opportunity for splash play runs. I just don't really know who you play. I mean, Miles Sanders, anytime we've gone down the road at Miles Sanders, he either leaves the game 
uh, he, he's getting touches, but like he hasn't scored a touchdown all year. So maybe like he gets it here, but we've just been chasing. I, I just would love to play Eagles running back in bulk. Uh, I don't know what to tell you like what on the individual pieces though. I'm getting a flashback to like it was a Techmo Bowl many years ago. Like they didn't have the rights to a certain player. It was QB Eagles. It was yeah, yeah. It was just <laughs> that's QB what I'm thinking. <laughs> Cunningham's <laughs> like, give me more money. Like, nah, we'll just put QB Eagles. Make a guy that looks kind of sort of like you. Thanks uh, anyway. <laughs> as, as Reeves touched on to that last matchup, Miles Sanders didn't even have a carry until the fourth quarter. Like they were just they were literally just passing the ball against the Bucks. Uh, that's the way they approached it, where they changed it completely. And on that same note. Like, like he touched on as well, the Bucks have permitted the third highest rate of 10 plus yard carries since returning from their bye in week 10. It's funny because they've been a, they've been the Saquon Barkley of rush defenses. Like they don't bend, but they do break at times. Uh, so they'll allow the explosives, but as a whole, they've just allowed the sixth fewest rushing yards per game in that time as well. But really that's what we're going for. We're going for explosive runs here and they were susceptible on the ground to quarterbacks. Josh Allen went over hundred, mm-hmm. Cam Newton at 40 yards, even the past couple of weeks, Michael Carter had a couple of explosives runs. Chuba Hubbard has success last week. And so overall, like, I think there is some shakiness here and the Bucks front seven. That sort of leads me to want to play Jalen Hurts. That, that's what I was going to say. Maybe the, maybe the running back that he's not a running back, obviously, but he can run. Uh, maybe he's the best option. He's the one, you know, it's really just have the ball in his hands more than the rest of them. <laughs> what we're hoping for is like a, a Jalen Hurts jailbreak game a la yeah. Jackson against the Titans. Like we're hoping for right. you know 50 plus attempts, 20 carries, 500 yards of total offense, because we've seen a couple of times this year where Eagles were down 14 p- points and Jalen Hurts still gets there with those one yard quarterback sneaks in garbage time. And so that's what you'd be hoping for. And then, you know, you'll, since I already know the Dean hosting phenomenon is that you're going to ask me, who do you stack them with then? And I <laughs> yeah. think, you don't have to play him naked. I think you can play with Dallas Goddard too, because since Zach Ertz was traded, Goddard actually leads all tight ends and targets per route run. And the Bucks have been susceptible allowing over seven yards per target to or seven yards per attempt to opposing tight ends. And so, yeah, I kind of like just getting jamming in Goddard being on the field for every snap and then hoping for some explosive rushing from Hertz as well. You on board with that rich. I, th- I, I think you go both ways with that. I think you can play Hertz all that cart or you can pair him with the, with Goddard or Smith. I get, I mean, I, I don't know how much more I want to go beyond that as far as Rieger or Watkins. Like, you know, Watkins can – he can catch a, catch a homer and really can't bank, and then obviously the floor is rough. Um, Rich, touch on uh, Hurts and his potential pass receivers. Yeah, I mean, it's t- we have a hard enough time just playing Devontae Smith for the amount of targets he gets, <laughs> let alone trying to get into the weeds and Rieger and in Quest yeah. Watkins. Like, I would love to feel confidently playing Devontae Smith, but that hasn't been the case uh, just because the raw targets haven't been there. And this is another one of those games, like, how does this game start, right? How does this game go? I mean, the Eagles uh, are, are the worst team in the NFL in the end this season against teams with a winning record. They went one and seven against teams this season with a winning record. Does no team had a worse record than them? Uh, so it's going to be interesting. They all kind of hit upon. It. I mean, their their wins when they were when they came back from the grave. I mean, they beat the Broncos, the Saints, the Jets, the football team twice, and the Giants. So I mean, this is a huge litmus test here. When these teams played earlier in the year. It was 28 to seven with six minutes left in the third quarter. Jalen Hurts gets the rushing touchdowns at the end to get there. He was objectively God awful passing. He was 12 of 26 passing in this game, 4.4 yards for pass attempt. Uh, the Bucks pressured him on 55% of his dropbacks in that game. He was four of 13 under pressure. You're just hoping for a ton of dropbacks. Like they said, we need like that scenario where it's just the Eagles fall like way behind and they just have no choice but to like, 
let Hertz just drop back a ton. But the only thing, only a problem with it too, is on the other side of the ball, like do the pay, do the Buccaneers have like quick strike touchdowns or is it where they has have like a bunch of like eight yard completions and just like suck out the clock in this game too, uh, inversely while they're still being effective moving the football. But uh, yeah, Hertz would be the guy to look at. Uh, the ceiling has dropped significantly since they started to run the football. But like I said, it's tethered to that schedule that they played and the game script that they had, which we could see going off the rails here in a scenario. You're rostering Hertz. He throws a pick six in the very first play. You're, you're excited about it. Sure. Let's, yeah. let's go. Yeah. I, I, I'll give you those two points, man. You can have them. I'm going to get them back in the back end in theory. Yep. Like it feels like a really good chase game for, for Hertz here. And the script like, uh, suggests. It's like right. rostering Stafford over the last month. You get really excited in those first half couple of picks. <laughs> Anything else in this game, boys? We're moving on. We're moving on, right? I think so. That's it. Uh, San Fran, Dallas, 51. Big old total. Uh, 27 and a half as far as the team total for Dallas this week. They're four-point favorites versus San Francisco. Um, well, I'll throw it to you, Rich. Uh, talk about the Cowboys. They seem to be a pretty feeling offense, right? Well, this is the only game that's not a rematch, so it's fun, right? We have a finally have, oh. uh, this is a new game. It's the only the only game we haven't seen yet on the weekend. And I think objectively, too, a lot of people are looking forward to this game the most. Uh, you know, the, the Cowboys were 6-0 and against the NFC East and 6-5 and versus everybody else. So how real are they? I mean, they went three and four versus playoff teams and two of those wins came against the Eagles. Uh, so kind of how real are the Cowboys? We've seen them definitely have their hiccups over the course of the season. Just two weeks ago, they lost as home favorites to the Cardinals, a team that has dealt, that's their only win over the past five weeks too. So that's definitely in the open. Uh, schematically, this is uh, a pretty interesting matchup because of the way the Cowboys play defense. Uh, you know, they lead the NFL in terms of cover one uh, that not really Dan Quinn's bag, but he kind of swerved into kind of the personnel that the Cowboys had who knew you, you actually coached to the players. Um, and then they run cover three on 33% of plays. They really live in those two formations. Here's the catch. Jimmy Garoppolo against cover three. Absolutely phenomenal. Six in the NFL in quarterback yeah. rating led the NFL in completion rate against cover three against cover one, though, much different story. 18th in the NFL, 57% completion rate. 89.8 quarterback rating, which is 14th in the NFL. So the two base defenses that the Cowboys live in, Jimmy Grapple is really excellent against one scheme and really awful and mediocre against the other. So kind of what wins out, that's kind of the story of Jimmy Grapple's career, right? Like even last week, makes the terrible interception to the Jalen Ramsey, throws the ball behind Kittle, gets the ball back with, you know, a minute left and has the best drive he's had in his 49ers career. So we might live that roller coaster life uh, with Garoppolo again on Sunday. All right, John, your, your thoughts as far as that game and uh, this game. And yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned uh, throwing the ball to Kittle. You didn't throw the ball to Kittle enough last week for my liking. Is Kittle going to get a bunch of throws this week here, uh, John? I believe so. When you talk about the, the matchups, though, like we talked about with the Patriots and Bills, I kind of think this is the worst possible draw for the Cowboys just because outside of Garoppolo's numbers against cover one, uh, we also know in hindsight and being a strong pass defense, the Cowboys also allowed 4.3 yards per carry to opposing running backs. And what we can now see was against the second easiest schedule of opposing rushing offenses. And we know what the 49ers ultimately want to do. And that's either plug away with Elijah Mitchell, who's averaged 23 and a half carries in his last five starts around multiple injuries or hand the rock to Debo Samuel in any way possible as he's averaged 6.7 carries and over seven and a half targets in his last three games. We're finally seeing the culmination of him as a running back coming along with the routes and targets as well even getting in for a 24 yard touchdown throw this past game and so 
overall, I, I still think what the 49ers want to do is questionable as to whether or not the Cowboys can stop it. And so how much Kittle, how much Ayuk is involved? Again, we can't carry both of them. We've seen that it's basically impossible for both of them to go off. You need one or the other. But like Debo, Elijah Mitchell, that's kind of where I'm looking at on the 49ers offense because I think they can have a lot of success. I know it's been like a running joke, like give Debo like running back eligibility, but like for real, is it, why is he not also a running back? He's getting eight, seven carries. And I don't know if you guys played baseball DFS, like uh, they never could figure out what to do with Otani. Like they never knew what to do. Like, is he pitching? Is he in the outfield? They, the site said no clue. And maybe it's hard to, you can't put an RB slash WR on him. Is that so hard? I don't know. Uh, to be fair, he, just, he only played 80 backfield snaps the entire season. Like, I don't think that that warrants a position change. It's increased, uh, you know, as the season has progressed, though, right, I would assume? No, no, it's not, like, crazy, though. It's only when he gets the carries, right? Like, he, he's never really in the backfield, like, hollowly, right. like, you know, like Patterson would be. That's fair. Uh, and that's the that's my only, like, I don't want to go to the bridge too far. The dude played 700 snaps at wide receiver. Like, All right, it, was like it was like Cam Akers. <laughs> when he was on the field, he was getting a touch. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know, but maybe we would get to the day where there's positionless football and it's fine, but I don't really think that we need to change him to be anyways. You want it. You would want Debo Samuel to be a wide receiver anyway for fantasy scoring. Like his, yeah, it, it matters more his, his output at wide receiver. So, I mean, it'd be tough. It, it, it's one of those things, right? Like, you know, hey, his, his floor matters more there. Rich, as far as uh, quarterbacks, and I guess you can, you can kind of bring in the whole uh, Saturday slate uh, Sunday slate in the effect, like Brady hurts, Garoppolo, Prescott, Mahomes, Big Ben. We know who number six is in the power rankings. Well, where, where do you uh, where do you, where do you have Dak? Ah, uh, he would probably be like uh, you know kind of in the behind Mahomes and Brady. Like I think basically kind of in that area of Hurts in the mix in that area. I and mean, we've seen Dak kind of give us he's given us a couple eggs you know over the back half of the season. But I definitely believe that this game swerves into the Cowboys having to win through the air. Uh, rather than on the ground. I mean, the 49ers are number two in the NFL in DVOA against the run. Uh, they are 16th against the pass. Uh, they are good against their number two in the NFL in success rate against the run. And we've seen Zeke over the back half of the season, even on Sunday night, they were trying to get Zeke a thousand yards and get him out of the game. It took 18 carries against the Eagles backups to get Zeke to a thousand yards. It was the, it was the most yards the dudes had in a game since week six. And like, they were just out there trudging, trying to get him that thousand yards. Uh, you know, the only reason we would play Zeke is literally just for touchdown equity. That's like literally it. The only reason to play him is that, you know, he, you know, he had the 12 touchdowns. He had 10 scores and 21 touches inside the 10. That's really his role. Like he's going to be on the field a lot. He's going to give us a bunch of hollow yardage and we hope he scores a touchdown. So I really believe it's going to fall on Dak Prescott's shoulders this game uh, because of the strength of the 49ers defense being versus run and them being weaker against the pass. Um, and, you know, they've gone through a couple stretches where they're hot. Like last week, the sec second half of that game, they were awesome. They were able to get pressure on Matthew Stafford. But in the first half of that game, they got absolutely carved up and shredded. Uh, so I do think that this is going to be like a, a game that Dak Prescott has to win. And the favorite receiver for Dallas uh, for you is? Uh, I, it's tough, man. Uh, I mean, since Amari <laughs> complained, he's got a bunch of targets. Uh, but he's still been very volatile. Uh, you know, CD Lamb had just one wide receiver, two or better scoring week over his final seven games. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week 10, but he still is just out there a ton. And we know the talent exists. And if I believe that this is a game Dak Prescott has to win, I mean, I, I would be interested in playing CD Lamb. I wish he was priced 
more better than where he is though. It looks like a, a better price on DK as opposed to Fanduel. I'm just kind of jumping back and forth mm-hmm. on on Fanduel. We have Cooper at seven one, Lamb at seven three, on DK five nine for Cooper, six two for Lamb. So you know, I, I understand the price on the Fanduel. He's tipping a little bit more expensive, but it feels like there's a bigger uh, gap than normal. Uh, j- jump in there, John. As far as uh, feel free, who's the best receiver here for Dallas this week? I still kind of like sneaking in Dalton Schultz. Uh, oh. People are going to cite his snap rate and routes run from last week. And that was Blake Jarwin's first game back. And, you know, his Schultz's route participation was as lowest since Blake Jarwin was last available. But at the same time, remember, like their backups were in the game by the fourth quarter. They were trying to give other players their incentives. So I think we still like when push comes to shove in a playoff game, we see Dalton Schultz as a full-time player. And uh, I would just rather take that chance. Not guaranteed, but I don't mind taking that chance if everyone thinks that he suddenly has gone back to a rotational role with a, with an injured tight end who just got back from in reserve. I'm also just worried about the Cowboys passing attack in general. Cause yes, it does have to come through Dak Prescott, but we've also seen a little exposure now that whenever Dak Prescott is under pressure, that's when the Cowboys offense has struggled in particular since week nine, when he returned and has been playing through the calf injury, whether or not that still exists or not, no idea, but three games against defense is create a bo- creating a bottom 10 in pressure rate. Uh, since he returned from injury in week nine, those games, Falcons, Giants, and Cardinals, those were his best efforts. And he didn't even go over 300 yards. Uh, the Raiders, for example, was were one of the toughest pass rushes he played. They averaged uh, the fourth highest pressure rate on the entire year. But also in that game against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, when Dak went for 375 and three touchdowns, the Raiders finished with a bottom four pressure rate. So they didn't actually get pressure despite being a good team and rushing the passer. And so overall, like now with the 49ers, creating the six highest pressure rate on the year. Like if it comes down to Dak and the 49ers are getting pressure, I'm just really worried about the Cowboys offense as a whole. Well, you talked about uh, Zeke. I know Rich talked about Zeke kind of being kind of sort of washed. You know, we talked about all, all season long and they, it took him forever to get his a thousand yard season, but you know, thousand yard season, this day is just like, you know, you stayed healthy. Like that's kind of what a celebration of it is to some extent. Now it's the story of his fantasy season. Like a dude. Just, yeah. He played, he kept playing. <laughs> yeah was, uh, you, you stayed in the field congr- which is like there's value to that and fantasy and all that but like never a thousand thousand yards just to be like a thing like this guy's a thousand yard receiver and like now it's like yeah whatever but my was, point uh, is oh go ahead oh no i was just saying he was a top four running back you know through the first five games and then he got injured and that's kind of the story he just kept playing through injury so the cowboys see what everybody else sees right they see that he's not that great and they see that a lot of people think pollard's better than him pollard is practicing I guess what I'm asking is, Rich, you think Pollard might get a little bit more and Zeke might get a little bit less? Are they too stubborn to do that? And they're going to keep throwing him out there. There's been no signal. I mean, Zeke was second in the NFL in snaps played at running back. Like, there's really been no signal for it. Like, Pollard's an ancillary, like, big play guy. I mean, he doesn't get a lot of touches, and he's not involved at all uh, in the green zone. And he's also playing with a, a Liz Frank injury, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's just tough. Like if you play Pollard, it's literally like the Thanksgiving slate, right? Like you're hoping he just has a big play. He converts. You ask if this uh, organization is just stubborn, like remember, it's been 27 years (laughs) since they made it past the divisional round. 27 27 (laughs) years. Like they don't make wise decisions. This is what they do. They're going to keep playing Zeke. Well, their owner is also their GM, right? I guess kind of like the facto GM. They have an official GM. They probably have one, right? And good coach. Yeah, sure. Uh, No, Uh, they don't. They don't. They don't have a GM. Uh, Jerry Jones is the GM. Oh, he is for real. Okay, yeah, I don't. Yeah, he's got. He's gotten sure. more hands off the last like four or five years, but he's still ultimately the GM. And like you said, they can see what we can see 
we can also just go to like Spotrack or some or over the cap and see 92 million into Zeke. And they see that. And so that's why he keeps playing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, how many more years they got on that contract? Like three or four or something like that. It's, I feel like he's going to be around for a while or, you know, they're not guaranteed. So they can after, after David Johnson, Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, I refuse to say like a team cannot get out of any deal. Uh, I, I truly think every contract is now tradable. They broke that trend, but it is admittedly a really tough one to get out of. I mean, but do they even want to? I, I, I don't. I feel like they true. don't feel like the rest of us feel about the situation. Especially, like I think they're pretty pleased with Zeke's play. Especially <laughs> since, especially since the off season, they they have a choice to either take off like Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper off the books, and so like, hey, here's this extra cap. What are you gonna do? Oh, we'll keep Zeke around and then just use Cedric Wilson. Okay. Uh, anything <laughs> else that's worth saying here, uh, Rich? As far as the Niners, before we move on and talk about Pittsburgh and Kansas City. No, I mean, we didn't talk about like ancillary guys like, you know, Cedric Wilson is out there, uh, you know, any time since he's run a pass route on 71% of the dropbacks, uh, you know, he's more of a touchdown or bus guy, but he has been involved. And it's in. All right. Let's well, I like it. Dak doubles oh, if you're going here with like Debo and, and Elijah Mitchell. This might be the game like you onslaught. It's the one game that you figure could be like the most optimal back and forth game of the weekend, right? It's not Maybe Pittsburgh, Bengals, Kansas City. Well, no, I mean, you can make an argument yeah. like for total points, like could get there, like, and even in, we talk about Tampa Bay Philly, but like those could be one-sided as well. Like this game could be one of those games that was like high and tight. Like you like to say, Dean, there you I go. Like, I like, uh, you know, since you're putting your planning, your flag, I like Eagles bucks a lot. I like getting on the Eagles side and then running it back with bucks and then maybe just playing like Elijah Mitchell as the, the hammer for this game for like a low scoring game where he just goes over one thirty. How would you build that just uh, on, on the fly? Would you start with Hertz? You, assuming you start with Brady or you start with Hertz? Uh, I like Hertz. And then you just hope for the best. You Hertz, you get your little zone catchers <laughs> and Fournette and uh, Gronk and Mike Evans. And then you run Hertz and Goddard out there. And then you go from there. Yeah. Well, can you play Fournette, Gronk, and Mike Evans with, with Hertz? Can you do something like that? I guess you can, but because it's a you know short slates, obviously. But you got yeah. to find ways to get cheap elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think the Patriots kind of open that up, but yeah. Now the Sunday sl- Sunday slate's a little tougher. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas City. This is the third game on the Sunday slate. The night uh, the nightcap, forty six and a half is the total. Kansas City is favored by what 13, 12 and a half points here against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is Big Ben's presumably, hopefully his last game ever. Uh, we will see that. Well, Ceh, Ceh and Daryl Williams uh, both practiced on a Wednesday. Uh, Tyreek Hill practiced as well with his heel. On the other side, Najee Harris dealing with that elbow. He did not practice for what it's worth. It took him forever to get back out in the field, by the way. I remember they, I was watching Twitter, and they're like, yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to come back. And like two quarters later, it's like, oh, there he is. And they, now I got two fantasy points out of Harris. He's supposed to be their workhorse. I presume he will be this week. We'll see. Stay tuned as far as updates on that. Uh, Rich, let's knock out the Pittsburgh side first. You know, Ben Roethlisberger's quarterbacking them. We, we assume it's going to be Harris in the backfield who can catch a bunch of passes. He's their do-all guy, assuming he's going to go with his elbow. But, yeah, Pittsburgh offense. Go ahead, Rich. Pain. Just a lot of pain. <laughs> I mean, this is undoubtedly the worst offense in the postseason on paper. I mean, they were 31st in the NFL in success rate per play. They were 24th in the league in points per drive. That's the lowest rate of all playoff teams. I said that, you know, talked earlier, the Texans led for more offensive snaps than Steelers. They were 30th in success rate per drop back. Only the Panthers and Giants were worse. Um, and, you know, when these teams played earlier in the year, this is, you know, this, 
the Chiefs were up 36 to three with two and a half minutes left to go in the game in a game where Travis Kelsey didn't play and Tyree Kill ran 20 pass routes. Uh, it's just really hard. Like, right, I understand it's NFL and even Sunday. We've been here with some of these games before, but you know, we have seen this is the largest spread in wild card history, wild card round. But heavy favorites have been sound bets to cover too. It's not one of these situations where you're just like, all right, well, I'll take the large, you know, point spread and just spray. Uh, you know, the teams heavy heavy road favorites, like I said, heavy favorites in general, double digit favorites has been eight in the wild card round. Only one of those teams lost outright. That was the Saints, the Beast Quake game. Uh, and you know, eight of those teams covered of the, the double digit point spread. Uh, we had one of those last year uh, with the Saints covering against the uh, the Bears in the Trubisky MVP game. Um, it's just really, really hard to draw an objective path to the Steelers offense. I mean, this offense is just so it's it's a it's a, a potato gun, man. Like, it's, what what are we expecting? We're gonna get a bunch of six yard passes. Uh, it 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 just is what it is. I mean, only Zach Wilson had a worse success rate per dropback than Ben Roethlisberger this year. Who is the quarterback of Pittsburgh next year? Who do you got for it? Who's the big free agent? Is it Russ? Is it Rogers? Is it draft somebody? Is I mean, do they do any of that? Do they just go forward with Mason Rudolph? No. I don't. no. My personal guy that I would love to see go there is Marcus Mariota. Um, because Matt Canada's offense, the uh, and I don't want to give Matt Canada any credit because he hasn't earned any either. It's not like he <laughs> like I don't want to just absolve him because Ben Roethlisberger has been kind of poor and held this offense back. But that offense is literally predicated on having a mobile quarterback and moving the quarterback around. And if they don't get a guy that that's built like that, like why even, why even keep Matt Canada too? like go out and get the quarterback that fits his scheme the best. And I think the cheapest and short-term answer where it wouldn't cost you any money, but could like still keep you around and be a competitive team would be Mariota. I was gonna say Huntley. Uh, also, maybe could be. I don't but know he's not like is. why? Why would the Ravens trade Huntley to the to the Steelers? Like, get out yeah, of I here! You call I, have, me. Uh, I, don't, I thought he might be a free agent. I don't know. I, I don't know what his story is. He's signed long term, Huntley. I don't well, know. he's on a rookie deal, so he's probably. Well, if he was an undrafted rookie, right? He his contract would be expire after three years, but then he would be able to be tagged for restricted free agent, if I'm correct. Uh, but he would still he's still under contract for next year for sure. Then. I, I kind of I actually do think they stick with Rudolph. Uh, otherwise, if you told me to go off the board, I'll take Matt Ryan as my pick. Okay. Fair who does not Another fit their, mobile quarterback. Who does not fit their <laughs> offense, which is why I think he's a perfect stealer. Because that's yeah, what so they he's do. the Urfa. He's the exclusive <laughs> yeah. rights free agent, yeah. Tyler Huntley. Uh, do you guys want to I mean like you could play Deontay Johnson, you know, get all the six-yard catches you want, I suppose. Uh, you know, what's to say? It's a short slate and these things can happen, but it doesn't sound like we're terribly enthused as far as the Pittsburgh side. John, like, I, you know, I, I kind of like Claypool, uh, just because we, we've seen his route participation progressively increase five consecutive games, so much so that he was in on 96% of Rossberger's dropbacks this past game. Also, a season high 91% of the snaps. Now, that probably happened because Deontay left early, but yeah, like we've seen time and time again where Claypool, the targets will be inaccurate, but he can still get them. And in my opinion, he has the higher ceiling than Deontay. So, I don't mind playing Claypool here. Jump on over to the Chiefs. What do you have for me? Uh, Rich pretty much summed it up how they did well without their top players this past game. And now we're kind of waiting on everyone. Uh, I think the running back spot is super interesting since we have seen that the running back is their third receiver, whomever it may be, Clyde Edwards Lair or Daryl Williams. And then we've also seen that one or the other, since we're waiting on both, but Edwards Lair averaged 13 and a half touches in the four games he returned for prior to injury again. And then when Edwards Lair was out, 
Williams averaged 18 touches per game as a bell cow in six starts without CH earlier this year. So I think the running backs are uh, a great spot to start with. And then I, I guess we just have to wait on reports for Tyreek Hill. Still frustrated that they didn't give us any pregame reports <laughs> that he injured his heel. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we're waiting on. And then of course you would expect to see a higher target share for Travis Kelsey. If Tyreek Hill's out, uh, not like the four targets he received this past week. So I'm just kind of waiting on the injury reports right now for all of them. Yeah, they did. Like they, they didn't practice on a Wednesday as far as Williams and CEH and Hill. So that, that seems like positive momentum as far as playing uh, rich. What do you have as far as Kansas city? Andy Reedy, he was more optimistic about Williams and Hill CH, they said they were going to kind of take the week to evaluate and see. I mean, it's one of these spots too, like where they might just buy time with him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, remains, it remains to be seen, or he left that game earlier. Uh, Chiefs running backs, when these teams played a couple weeks ago, they had 40 combined touches in that game for 222 yards, or Derek Gore went over 100 yards in that game, mopping up. I mean, the Steelers have just been dog walked. Latavius Murray came out of the grave for 150 yards last week <laughs> against them. Uh, I mean, it's just, they've been just smoked on the ground to, to end the season. Uh, if game strip kind of dictates here, I wish we could get, uh, you know, clarity, but like we don't have it on a, uh, this time we're doing the show. If we just knew Daryl was playing and we can lock in his touches because Daryl, you know, Clyde Edwards Lair played 30 snaps or uh, he played 30% of the snaps where he got hurt. Daryl still had 14 touches for 85 yards in that game, then just like gave over the fourth quarter to Gore. Uh, you know, Williams is a guy that, you know, definitely where his pricing is at, we would love to lock him in as the, like the, R, the RB1 of this team if Blair is out, held out, but we just don't know right now. He'd be the guy I'd be looking at the most. And then Mahomes is literally just the syrup over the pancakes argument, right? Like you just want to get it right, play Mahomes. Yeah, you're talking about this uh, matchup here against Pittsburgh, big favorites and like their running backs being a little bit banged up and maybe it's just a Milton Burrow game. Like, they just do just enough to win, but they, they don't, they, they can pull back on CEH if they're up by 17 in the fourth quarter, that kind of thing. And there's no reason to run them to the ground. And, you know, Gore's, they're all kind of running backs, whatever. They don't matter. Yada, yada. They're all kind of sort of basically the same to various degrees. Yeah. Uh, that makes me think that, you know, it'll be interesting. We'll see how it goes down. There's no really, there's no reason to speculate on Wednesday night, but we'll, and, we'll see. And I just wonder you know, maybe everyone plays Mahomes because he still has the name, right? Patrick Mahomes, it gets people excited. But remember, even in this past game, the Steelers, 36 points scored, and he was sitting there with just 250 and three TDs. Uh, in the second half of the season, since they changed their offense, became a more shallower offense. Like his three games that he exploded over 300 yards for, you could point to why. And it was the cover three instances against the Raiders that he just sprayed for nine touchdowns and zero picks total. And then uh, the Chargers game, whenever they lost Derwin James. So, you know, it's still not really a slate where, I'm terrified of Mahomes, like Brady and Jalen Hurts, because he easily just beat him and outscore him. So uh, that's kind of where this. we are with the Chiefs, right? Like they're they, so we've kind of worked our way back to like the Chiefs being one of the best teams in the NFL, and they ended up in context of the season being one of the best offenses in the NFL again. But like it, it just feels like they're not the boogeyman like they were the last few years. Yeah, and they are still the best offense in the league. Right, uh, it's just not <laughs> as fun to watch anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's funny is like we compare the Chiefs to old Chiefs teams, and that's why we think that they're not a good offense anymore. Right. But compared to the actual league, they are still the best offense. Yeah. That's why. That's why even like you know, if Ceh is out here, I maybe if we're projecting like a heavy game script again, you could even go crazy and play Daryl Williams with Frank Gore, or not Frank, uh, with Derek Gore. Frank Gore would also go for 100 yards in this game. <laughs> he probably but, would. Yeah, Derek Gore and Daryl Williams <laughs> together is totally fine, especially if you're trying to save salary. 
Yeah, like fading the Chiefs is not the sphincter, the sphincter clincher once was, that kind of thing. It still is. It's still a sphincter clincher, but not exactly the same. It's not as scary like you say. But still, like Tyreek yeah. in theory can get loose. Kelsey has those ceiling games where he goes absolutely ballistic. And, you know, this is where I ask if you're going to play one of them. And uh, as far as the defensive scheme and all that kind of stuff, John, you know, you're going to play either Tyreek, you're going to play Kelsey. I understand position matters too. But do you have a preference as far as uh, one of those two uh, studs on KC? I guess given the landscape of the slate it would be Tyreek Hill uh all the options we've talked about it's hard to play all these guys even in the three game slate but given that we have Gronk and Goddard there and for all the reasons we talked about why we love them I think I would just put the fade on Kelsey in this particular three game Rich same same question yeah I mean I think tight end is is very if you're playing the Sunday slate I mean it's loaded I mean you've got Kittle you've got Schultz you got Mm -hmm. Goddard you got Gronk I mean it's tough to pay the iron price for Kelsey. It'd be easy just to say, yeah, I'll play the healthy guy. We don't know how healthy Tyreek is. What if he doesn't play the full game and you're paying that kind of price for him? Um, but I do also think it's hard to just pay up. Uh, I would only really be playing Kelsey, I think, in the small field, like when I would go with like a Chiefs onslaught. I love the iron price reference. Like, that, that always gets me to smile every single time I hear it. Let's move on to the Monday night game. Of course, the Monday night game is it's mostly a showdown deal. And we'll kind of touch this real quick. Uh, also, you can play the Saturday through Monday slate as well. Again, the sites have given you all sorts of options to play all sorts of different players. Arizona versus the Rams, 49 and a half is the total. The Rams are a four-point favorite. And, John, this feels like two offenses like should be better. Like, what has happened to both these quarterbacks and both their offenses? Like, it feels like it should be – not that it can't be a shootout, but it feels like this should be like a 56 total. Mega just going back and forth and two fun offenses. And they've had their moments for sure, but – Am I wrong in saying this? It feels like they've been disappointing more than not of late. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago whenever the Cardinals-Cowboys game was highlighted on that slate. Just overall regression and how how great Murray was, both in red zone offense for the Cardinals, third down conversion rate, uh, passes 20-plus yards downfield. And now we've slowly seen a coming back-to-earth moment in the last month of the season for the Cardinals as a whole, in particular without DeAndre Hopkins, who won't play this game. Uh, we also know that on the other side of the ball, you know, Big Fay is 5-1 and one against Kingsbury. The Rams have scored 30-plus points in four of those six matchups, including the most recent one in Week 14, which arguably was the last time we saw Matthew Stafford, like, splice together a complete performance without multiple picks. That was the best game, yeah, I'm pretty sure in the last two months we've seen him play. And so you start with the, the Rams side, and – it's kind of become clear where to go. Van Jefferson did bounce back after that 30% snap game uh, this past week, running 30 routes to Odell Beckham's 35. But even then, even though the on-field peripherals have gotten stronger, it's kind of become Tyler Higby's game. And he slowly emerged as their second receiver in his last three games since he returned from the COVID list, running around at 85% of Stafford's dropbacks and seeing a 22% target share in that span uh, behind Cooper Cup, of course. So for the Rams, you know, especially since we got... Cam Akers involved here for 13 snaps and eight touches, a role we only we only expect to grow this upcoming week, then it's kind of become just Stafford and Cup to really hone in on on the Rams side. Uh, Rich, what do you have for me as far as uh, the Rams uh, offense? We'll, we'll talk about the Cardinals in a second, but again, Cooper Cup, it's week. No, it's not like week 18, it's the playoffs. It's the first week of the playoffs. You all know Cooper Cup's been an absolute stud all season long. If you can fit him in your lineups, by all means, go for it. He's been fabulous. Uh, other guys in the Rams that are worth featuring here. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we'll talk about the Cardinals and, you know, obviously everyone's been talking about their on-off splits with DeAndre Hopkins, but 
one of the most disappointing elements of this team over this stretch of the final five weeks has been their defense. They've allowed opponents to score on 53% of their possessions. That's 30th in the NFL over that span. They've allowed a touchdown, 34% of offensive possessions. That's 30th in the NFL. Prior to that, they were third in the NFL in both categories. So they're just getting roasted defensively too. The past five quarterbacks they faced have all posted top 10 scoring weeks. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, and Stafford himself in the game that Daigle brought up. Uh, Stafford, literally, it comes down to when he doesn't throw picks, he's awesome. I mean, that week 14 game was the last game he didn't throw an interception. In the six games he hasn't thrown an interception this year, he's averaged 25 and a half fantasy points per game with a low of 23 and a half points per game not even inflated by a big game when he has a turnover 16.1 points per game with just two 20 points game 120 point games if he keeps if he plays a clean game he's going to get there especially with the state of way this Arizona defense is playing um you know it's funny we we talked about you know just how Odell Beckham was passing the eyeball test but when you go into the hood it's the same shit we were getting in Cleveland uh him and Stafford 56 percent catch rate on his targets 6.4 yards per target with the Browns 50 percent catch rate 6.8 yards per target a lot of touchdown deodorant is covered up he's got five touchdowns three from four yards and in that have really kind of saved uh his production um you know but when you look at those games he didn't have a touchdown you got caught holding the bag but in one of his good games all around as a receiver was when these teams played on Monday Monday night or was it the Tuesday did they play Tuesday I can't remember which which week they moved that game to, uh, but when they played in the, the night game, uh, he did have six for 77. It was the second best game. Uh, he's still a boomer bust option, um, but yeah, he, you know, he's kind of the, the next guy up that at least offers a little bit upside because Van Jefferson is literally not just getting catches, but like in getting targets. You just have to hope he scores. He did score both games against the Cardinals if it makes you feel better. Uh, but yeah, like they said, Higby's got five catches in each of his last four games. Uh, he's kind of t- stepped up to being the most consistent guy outside of Cup. I'm looking forward to Beckham's dad releasing a mixtape of uh, Stafford's uh, interceptions and things like that. That'll be great for sure. I mean, he's, in, the, in the overtime play, he's he's six yards behind that dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's the, the same stuff though. When you look at like all his splits, like we're getting the same production we're getting in Cleveland. He just has some touchdowns. I think it's worth talking about Cam Akers uh, just because he's really, really cheap. And like, a lot of people think he's super talented coming back from his injury way faster than everybody expected. He's really, he's four, two on DK five, four on FanDuel, like 16 bucks on Yahoo last week, you know, he got his feet wet and now the games really, really matter. John, like, I mean, could, could you venture a guess like how much more of that offense he's going to get, how much more of that running back uh, situation he's going to grab a handle of, and is he worth, you know, we're looking for something. We're looking for a guy to break in tournaments, and there's some upside in theory, at least. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good story, but he also had 13 yards on those eight touches. So I, I I don't know if he's, like, at full strength, even if the workload increases to have, you know, half the touches. So that's what, I, that's what I'm worried about. Also, just in slowly seeping up Sony Michelle's targeting role, like pass-catching role. We talked about how the last two games prior to Akers' return – they finally started using Michelle like Daryl Henderson and giving him nine targets. And then they got acres involved instead for that role. So Sony Michelle really just became a goal line or bust option. Uh, whereas acres, like I said, we expect his role to increase at least to, you know, 40, 30, 40% of the touches I'm going to assume, but either way, that makes it more of a Damien Harris or Mondre Stevenson situation where it's sort of hard to have confidence in either. Yeah, if you have a thought on that, Rich, by all means, go for it. Also worth noting, as far as the Arizona side, DeAndre Hopkins uh, expected out. Uh, we're not sure on a Wednesday night as far as Edmonds. Uh, Connor also, I think, technically questionable. We did play out last week. 
Uh, touch on the running backs this game. Yeah, and you know, the the signal here too is the Rams. I mean, 80% of their offensive touchdowns are passing. It's the highest rate in the league. So you're literally chasing a touchdown from these running backs. You got to hope you get it on a team that really doesn't have a lot of rushing touchdowns on the season. And Arizona, 75% of the touchdowns they've allowed have been through the air. It's the second highest rate in the league. So I do think it's more of a passing game still for the Rams, although you can pop long runs on the Cardinals, uh, even though they don't get a lot of touchdowns to backs. Uh, so it's just kind of like who gets that goal line carry, right? Like if they're in there, who's, do they get, do they give acres one? Like, do they feel like they want to get him a, a look and get a touchdown? Cause at, at his pricing, if you get a touchdown, yeah, you know, that that's pretty significant. Um, just, it's a lot of guesswork. Like it's just a lot of guesswork. It's a lot of spray and pray, uh, Arizona. Like we talked about, you know, the, the Hopkins splits. I mean, it, it's a real thing. It, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, the last four games, uh, Kyler Murray's thrown for 6.2 yards for pass attempt. Uh, he has not thrown for more than seven yards or pass attempts in any of those four games. Prior to that stretch, the lowest yards for pass attempt he had a game was 7.6 yards per pass attempt. He's now had uh, 20, 220 dropbacks this season without DeAndre Hopkins on the field. Uh, he's completed 65% of his passes for 6.6 yards for pass attempt with Hopkins off the field, as opposed to 72%, 8.8 yards for pass attempt. Uh, on the 323 dropbacks with DeAndre Hopkins on the field. It's significant. Uh, these other guys just aren't really kind of pulling their weight. Christian Kirk's like a fine ancillary receiver, but he's not a guy that can do heavy lifting. Uh, also, your yards for pass attempt, they're going to drop when your most consistent target is Zach Ertz. Uh, no <laughs> real shade on Zach Ertz. He's been like, they've been leaning on him. He's doing what Zach Ertz does, catching a bunch of passes for nine yards of reception. But like that, you it, it's just not, a, there's no explosion. There's no juice in this offense anymore. Um, when you have to funnel your targets through Zach Ertz, and that's kind of really what has slowed this thing down. That's what everyone's talking about Ertz for these like playoff only formats, but you know what you're getting out of Ertz. Like, and we talked about this last week, how you didn't really want to play him on FanDuel because we're chasing touchdowns and ceiling. And uh, at least for the ceiling part, like we don't think we're going to get it there. Whereas on DraftKings, you just sucked it up at the mid-price salary mm -hmm. and just took the reception floor. So yeah, it's just like really hard to, to, to get excited about Ertz. You know, anything else to see game here, John, or shall we move on? And uh, we're, that, we're, that's the slate. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, um, we're, <laughs> waiting on, we're waiting on the Cardinals running back news. Yeah. Um, and it's important because we've seen them lean on one or the other if the other one's out. James Conner averaged 21 touches and five starts without Chase Edmonds. And Edmonds averaged 17 carries and a seven and a half targets in week 16 and 17, Sands Conner. And so if we get one or the other, you know to just lock them in as probably the only other captain in this slate other since everyone's probably going to naturally go to Cooper cup. Uh, but if it's both of them, you're probably taking the receiving upside or I'm sorry, the, the red zone upside with James Conner, even though I would not be opposed to playing both since we also know that usually entails chase Edmonds still having the receiving role on DraftKings. And Connor on the uh, Vandals 8k he's six, three on DK. Uh, as far as Edmonds, Edmonds on Fandle is 6'4 and 5K on DraftKings. So, you know, if you somehow get uh, no Connor and Edmonds in, like who knows how this is going to go down. We're still kind of figuring that out. Got plenty of time. It's, uh, you know, four days away. Uh, Rich, what else do you have as far as this game? I just took a peek at the clock. I didn't realize we kept a, we kept the people for a long time. We went, we went like 20 minutes on Bengals Raiders, and I started mapping it out in my head, and I was like, I don't <laughs> think we're going to make this. That was on me. <laughs> I have the clock management of like, a, I don't know who's the terrible, historically terrible clock management. 
Was it? I mean, it, who's on after us? Does it matter? Like no, it, nobody. <laughs> oh, see, so it's fine. Nobody's getting bumped. Uh, <laughs> nobody's yeah, in the green yeah, room waiting. So it's fine. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I will say. I mean, AJ Green too is better games have come against the the Rams. Maybe he's the the, the cheapy that you throw take a shot at, but it's. I don't know. That's really about it. Yeah. As we talked about last week, uh, Antoine Wesley was literally just the touchdown or bust guy. And you saw what happens when he doesn't score a touchdown, four targets, two catches, 17 yards. So, yeah. I mean, uh, he's never open. Like he's like blank <laughs> every, even the targets he does catch. It feels like this, like this, they're all contestational contested catch. Yeah. <laughs> he's tall, man. Just throwing yeah, it up high. Big dude, man. Big dude. Let's um, end with this, man. Give me a, there's always an upset in wildcard weekend. At least they're supposed to be right. There's always, Give me, give me the team that's going to upset, uh, like the one that we're not seeing coming. Rich, uh, I'm sure you have a. Are you? Is there Vegas or sports gambling? Or not sports. Is there sports gambling legal in, in Ohio? You probably not know yet. a it, guy. It, it, else. It's, it finally passed, but it's not. You know, it's just it's finishing up the the red tape stage. But it did sure. get legalized uh, here, so I can't do it yet. But I mean, I still have a local bookie. But um, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like the the chalk answer would be New England just because of the situation. I would say that I wouldn't be like surprised if the Bengals laid an egg. Uh, I mean, the, the only one I really can't see is the most obvious one, and it's Pittsburgh. Um, I, I think any of the other ones, like you could get there, Tampa Bay being maybe a distant, but if any of those other games were like wins by the underdog, I kind of really wouldn't even be like that floored. John, you got one? Yeah, I think. Again, Patriots chalk answer. I'm, I'm really worried about that matchup for the Bills, though. That that means a lot for the AFC. Uh, but also, I, I just I really think the 49ers are genuinely the better team. I just think they're the better team. So I'm gonna go 49ers. I think the Cowboys match up horrifically with them. Do you got a Super Bowl matchup? Is it too early for that? I, I have Packers Chiefs mapped out in all my brackets. Uh, I understand that's not clever. Also, though, if it were the Patriots Packers again the pay the Patriots and Bills mean so much for the brackets because both teams then walk to terrific matchups the Patriots beat the Titans earlier this year so like even in getting the number one seed it doesn't really matter they've already done it so uh, yeah that's the game we're all we all should be watching because that's the one where they could represent the AFC but I still think it's Chiefs Packers Rich I like Bills Bucks because I'm an Omni fantasy league and have both those teams drawing. But uh, <laughs> I genuinely do think the Bills are the best team in the NFL. If th- this, I'm like like Dave, I'm terrible. This is the spot. Like that, this is the the dark the Death Star, man. Like, can they just get past this spot? Because I think if they can get past this spot, I think they're built to beat the Chiefs and then whichever team they would you know face uh, you know at the end of the line. Um, but yeah, I- I'm pro Bills if they could get past this spot, man. Because the Bills will play the Chiefs next round, and like the way the Chiefs, as we talked about, have altered their offense since week nine, it doesn't match up well at all with the Bills. Bills also remember, and this is before they changed their offense, murdered the Chiefs earlier this year, uh, whereas the Bills could bring the heat. So, yeah. Well, we didn't talk about it because it didn't matter because they're playing the Steelers, but like the Chiefs' defense is still who we thought they were. Like when they don't get like multiple turnovers per game, they're still the bad, they're still terrible defense. Like it's just, they're predicated on getting a lot of turnovers. It's just that we're not like Pittsburgh can't take advantage of even bad defenses at this point. Their defense is kind of their offense too, putting them in positive uh, predicaments and positive situations as far as the game. But yeah, uh, forcing their opponent to go one dimensional, but you're right. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are when they're facing Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, man, I, I hope this is it for Ben. I've had enough. I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to make like a dunk on Steelers thing either, but like I floated out a tweet on Sunday night that asked like Steelers fans, if they even wanted to see this version of the Steelers play more games. And the response was largely, it was like, not really. 
Because they beat because you figured like that was the ending, like right? Like this was the end. Ben Ben beat the Browns and beat the Ravens on the way out. You don't have a losing record. And sure, you get to go to the postseason, but like you walk into being the largest underdogs in NFL history in the first round of playoffs. And now you end up potentially in like a sour note where you could have just said, like, you know what? Hey man, like we beat the Browns and Ravens. Ben went off on like a positive note. And like that, that was it, man. Like they don't even they don't believe that this team is is they don't even really love this version of the Steelers team. You root for the yeah. colors. They're not rooting for them to lose by any means, but this isn't a good team. Understood. All right. That was a uh, man. We clocked in like an hour and a half. We appreciate y'all sticking with us the entire time. If you guys stuck with, this, stuck with us the entire time, do hit that like button. If you're listening on the old YouTube, subscribe, turn on the notifications, find these guys at their socials. We're going to give them out in just one second. Like I can't imagine at this point, you always say it's week 18, not week 18. It's the week one of the playoffs after an 18 week season. If y'all are not, you know, if you don't know where Rebar and Dangle are at this point, you're not looking for them. <laughs> you're actively avoiding them if you're on Twitter because they're popping up all over the place as far as my timeline. Dangle, tell the people where they can find you. But now you probably know, as you mentioned, but at Najee Daigle on Twitter and on NBC Sports Edge, if you're playing any playoff-only formats, even best ball, uh, I have my top 70 playoff-only rankings up there that I'll be adjusting for injury reports and news through Saturday morning. The initial run's up there, though, with some notes at the bottom, some we talked about even tonight. And I base it on injuries, news, and even projected ownership for what we think, like in the FFPC tournaments, $200, 500K payout. It's an amazing tournament. Um, what I think the field's going to do. So you can go check it out there. Rich? Uh, I just drew the first pick in a playoff league, Daigle, and I was thinking about taking Tom Brady. How wrong am I? No, Tom Brady's Tom Brady's awesome. Uh, I have him ranked over Josh Allen, unlike others, because, again, I'm really worried about this Bills matchup. And you don't want to be left holding the bag in these leagues. Like, you need multiple entries, honestly, if you're taking Josh Allen, because, like, you can get away with Devin Singletary being one and done, but Allen's going to be the highest roster quarterback. And so if you're one and done there, your lineup's just cooked. All right, yeah, I was thinking about taking Brady. Feeling like, you know, you get the first-round matchup and you get that second-round matchup and you just hope they can win in the NFC Championship game, maybe. Bucks Packers, let's get there and see what happens. (laughs) Let's flip a coin. All right, all right. I mean, uh, other than that, like, I don't don't really care where you can find me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just – you know it's wild card weekend, whatever we're at. Uh, just find me somewhere. You know, I'm left around, alone man. For the, I'm around. For the next three months or whatever it is. Just let me do my thing. Let me catch up on the DVR. You'll, you'll be on the couch. Find me on the couch in, in a week. I mean, all I see all these people like posting like all the this stuff about like off-season takes and stuff. And I dropped a little off-season take earlier this week just because it it threw on something I was working on, but like I need to, I need to decompress. Let me decompress first and get through this. I, like I've said that on, I think every show this week, Rich. <laughs> that uh, I get on there and I'm like, I'm glad y'all are already starting 2022 takes, but um, don't look for me for another couple of weeks. I'm gonna be hiding. That was but all these. I did write up all six games uh, at Sharp Football Analysis. They're they're free. They're not paywalled, so you can go check all that stuff out. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's worth checking out for sure. Hey, uh, you didn't lead with that. You led with you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> you put a lot of work into it. I'm sure. I know. That's Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis or his couch, John Daigle, NBC Sports, a good football show podcast. Also, uh, decompressing for the next couple of weeks. Well, no, not just yet. We're, we're, we'll be back next hmm. week for sure. One more Take week of the show. show. There you go. This is the um, second to last show for the season. This was the Super Wild Card Weekend show. That was Rich. That was John. That was producer Devin. Uh, that was football. I was Dean. We're out of here. Holler. Holler.